Hello, everyone. This is Jason Oxman, and you're listening to Transaction Trending. Thanks for tuning in. According to the FDIC, 6.5% of households in the United States were unbanked in 2017, and an additional 19% were underbanked. Expanding access to reach these traditionally underserved consumers has been a consistent challenge for financial services providers. And that's where fintech comes in. ETA members are expanding access, affordability, and convenience for financial products and services through the deployment of new technologies that break barriers and take innovative approaches to delivering financial services. On today's episode, I'm joined by Phil Goldfeder and Chris Cagle. Phil is Senior Vice President of Public Affairs at Cross River Bank, an ETA member company with a number of innovative partnerships with fintechs that extend credit and other financial products to underserved consumers. Phil is also a former New York State Assemblyman. Chris is Director of Regulatory Affairs at T-Mobile. He oversees financial services and mobile payments for T-Mobile, which has made significant investments in promoting broadband and financial services to underserved consumers. Prior to T-Mobile, Chris worked as an attorney in the Federal Trade Commission's Bureau of Consumer Protection. Phil and Chris are fintech advocates and policy experts, and they join us now on Capitol Hill to discuss expanding access to underserved consumers. Thank you to Phil and Chris for joining us here today on Transaction Trending. Uh, We've talked a lot about uh, fintech innovations over the course of our podcast series here, and one way in which fintech innovations are incredibly important to consumers and and merchants across the country uh, is serving traditionally underserved consumers. Um, This is something that we've seen innovation uh, in financial services uh, really bring to the market in force in the last couple of years. And of course, ETA's white paper on this topic uh, explored a lot of ways in which member companies are bringing uh, fintech innovations to underserved consumers. I'd like to ask each of you to talk a little bit about how uh, Cross River and T-Mobile are making investments in serving the traditionally underserved. Um, Chris, maybe we can start with you from T-Mobile's perspective. Uh, We've all heard the statistic that more people have uh, mobile devices than have bank accounts uh, around the world. Um, So certainly it's a a great access tool for financial services. Talk to us a little bit about how T-Mobile is using technology, mobile technology in particular, uh, to reach the underbanked and underserved. Yeah, so, um, you know, like you said, T-Mobile realized that um, this wonderful device that we all have in our pockets, the smartphone, can be a tremendous tool um, for financial inclusion as well. And so, um, you know, there are really a couple of different opportunities there. One is, um, you know, accessibility. So a consumer with maybe an audio or visual disability or who has trouble getting to a traditional bank, brick-and-mortar bank, uh, is able to access their bank accounts in a very convenient fashion if they can do it over their smartphone. So one of the things that we have developed here at T-Mobile very recently is something called T-Mobile Money. It is our our, uh, mobile banking application where consumers uh, can do things like photo deposit their checks, um, have access to uh, over 55,000 ATMs worldwide. We provide free overdraft protection and fantastic interest rates. And 
what we believe that will do is to access that opportunity for all those U.S. adults who have smartphones but maybe don't have a traditional banking account yet, and um, we're really excited about it. Phil, Cross River, I think, is unusual in the financial services space in the U.S. in two ways. One, it's a relatively new bank, only been around for, uh, for about 10 years. Uh, and two, uh, really, you've positioned yourself as a technology-first bank, uh, done perhaps more partnerships with technology companies than almost any other financial institution in the country. Can you talk to me a little bit about how Cross River uses technology to reach traditionally underserved and unbanked consumers who are looking for a bank? So let me first, again, thank you, Jason, and ETA for the white paper as a whole and, and opportunities then to, to talk about the white paper and, and how we're reaching the underserved. And of course, um, Chris, uh, it's a pleasure to be sitting next to T-Mobile and, and, and sharing this, uh, this opportunity with you. You know, I think the best part of our story is sort of the way in which we grew. Um, as you mentioned, we're only 10 years old. And we've been able to sort of build this um, platform or, or build this opportunity where we're working with fintech companies, mostly based on when we started. Uh, we came into existence after the Great Recession, after, you know, sort of there was a, a big movement towards de-risking. Um, and I think it was, a, it was a great opportunity for us to find ways to re-risk, right, to, 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 to sort of provide new opportunities to, this, to those consumers in 2008 and 2009 that no longer had access to traditional services because it was going away, traditional banks uh, were suffering, either, you know, because of, of the recession or, or, or for other reasons, um, particularly in minority and rural communities all across the country. And, and we realized early on that given this new regulatory structure, we were at a unique position to take advantage of, of the opportunities of, of the way in which we were built around the regulatory structure and, and look at new technologies and how we can bring them into the banking system. I think for us, it's not a way of, it's not a, we don't look to go around regulatory structures, we actually look to embrace them. Um, we think that by taking uh, fintech and bringing it into the banking system, we're enabled to reach new consumers in new ways, whether it's through their cell phones or through their computers or, or in, in so many new ways. And so it started very small, very organic, with a company called uh, Green Sky doing point of sale loans. Uh, we learned quickly what the challenges were of originating loans all across the country, uh, making sure that there's always a focus on consumer protection, but at the same time making sure that there is access to capital when consumers need it. Uh, today, we partner with 14 online lending companies uh, all across the to originate loans all across the country. Um, doing it in a way that has a focus on regulatory compliance, consumer protection, that there is a, a community bank behind fintech, I think, gives consumers uh, a security, sort of peace of mind that there is something that they're familiar with that is behind the system, which to most people just seems very um, anonymous. Uh, we provide sort of the, the community bank feel behind fintech, and we're proud of where we started, but most importantly, where we've come and what we see for the future in terms of reaching those consumers, providing them the access to capital they need in an affordable way when they need it. And let me stay with you for a second and ask you about how that works in practice. You mentioned you have 14 partners. Um, can I ask you to pick, um, you know, one or two of them and just um, explain to us how it's different from what a traditional bank might do to extend credit to, uh, to a consumer? What are the ways in which you reach those customers? What are the ways in which you, uh, for example, uh, use technology to uh, maybe look at different creditworthiness 
factors than you might otherwise look at if someone were walking into a Cross River branch. Just to explain to us how this works to, to extend credit uh, availability to consumers who might not otherwise have access to it. Uh, so, gosh, we have 14 partners. We're very proud of each and every single one of them. Um, it's hard to single out you know, any single one, but I'll talk for a moment about a company like Upstart. Uh, Upstart is a, is a great company um, for a lot of reasons, but they were the only company when the, the CFPB um, opened up this idea of a no action letter. Um, Upstart was a company that sort of looked at that and said, hey, we want to be as transparent as possible about what we're doing in using alternative data to determine creditworthiness. Um, and I think alternative data is the key in what, makes, in what makes sort of the secret sauce. Every one of our companies has a different mechanism, a different algorithm, a different sort of measurement tool to determine creditworthiness, um, which makes them special, which gives them their secret sauce. Upstart had submitted that application for the no action letter to, to the CFPB and was the only company ever actually granted the no action letter by the CFPB, which I think gives you a sense of, number one, their desire to be transparent whether, whether, as it relates to the consumer. But number two, I think, if, if you take a look at the application, was I think their partnership with a community bank um, on the back end helped um, bolster their, the sort of the, the idea that it's not the Wild West, that we are a, a fully regulated entity. Um, and we as the bank are proud of that, and we're proud of the fact that there are companies like Upstart and Rocket Loans and Affirm and Loan Depot are, are sort of, we like to think, is almost the regulatory gold standard for providing access to credit where consumers can feel safe and secure that they're going to get the credit they need. Um, but it's not just, it's, it's affordable, it is safe, it is manageable, and it's a mechanism that, that I think potentially could end the cycle of debt that so many uh, Americans have been going through for so many years. Chris, let me ask you a, a similar question about uh, the partnerships that T-Mobile enters into. You mentioned some of the products, like the money product that you're, uh, you're rolling out to serve T-Mobile customers with financial services products. But of course, T-Mobile is not a financial services company primarily or in the business of operating a, a mobile network. Um, so can you talk to us a little bit about um, some of the partners that you have and, and, and work with and, and the way in which you've used the, the mobile technology that you have access to um, to uh, provide those financial services to those that might not otherwise have access to them? I think the big one when it comes to T-Mobile money in particular is that the, the way that the current U.S. banking laws are structured, as well as the state banking laws, it was necessary for T-Mobile to have a, a bank partner in order to, to launch our mobile banking product. And so uh, we have worked with Bank Mobile on this particular product, and um, we're really excited about what we can offer to our consumers because of that partnership. Um, really help consumers find a pathway into the financial system, uh, find a pathway into um, saving some of their money, um, being able to take advantage of some of these modern payment mechanisms that are, are flourishing in our economy. And so that's, that's really been the key partnership for us. Yeah. And it, it results in some great technologies being deployed. But of course, you, you mentioned, and uh, this is actually a great question to uh, stay with you for because of your background as a, as a federal regulator and a consumer protection agency, the Federal Trade Commission. Uh, you mentioned that there are regulatory obligations that apply uh, quite significantly in the financial services space, and, and, and T-Mobile is partnered with a bank for those reasons um, because when you're moving money around, regulators pay very close attention to it. Um, so just kind of at a high level, again, given your background at the FTC and in private practice advising uh, companies about this and obviously doing it now at T-Mobile, 
level. Uh, what are some of the things that, uh, that technology companies and, and those that partner with technology companies need to be thinking about as far as regulations? Do they need to be worried about um, federal regulators paying close attention because these are new products and services? Are regulators generally inclined to uh, offer an additional layer of scrutiny because of the technology involved? Are state regulators looking at these services as well? Uh, you know, if you, had to, if you were back in uh, private practice and had to advise your clients uh, about who they should be paying attention to as regulators, what they should be thinking about when they're launching these services, who's really watching uh, closely uh, at the federal or state level uh, as these new services are rolled out? Uh, well, the, the answer is there's a lot. <laughs> um, you know, it, depending on how you structure your, your product or your offering, you have to be thinking about either state banking authorities, state consumer protection authorities, uh, state AG's offices, or if, if you uh, structure it on a more national level, then you have to be looking at places like the, uh, the OCC, the CFPB, perhaps the FTC, and you have to be looking at it holistically as to how they're gonna view it from the outside and make determinations about do you wanna be proactive in reaching out to some of those folks and explain your product so that um, they understand it before they start asking too many questions. You know, there, there are a lot of different things that you need to navigate when you're developing a product like this. Um, I think that um, recently federal regulators in particular have been a little bit more willing to, uh, to give some space for innovation, and I think that's fantastic. The OCC looking at the FinTech charters and things like that. Um, but that is, that is certainly a big part of the calculus when you're developing a new product like this. And Phil, on that subject of telling the story to lawmakers and, and regulators, you came to Cross River Bank uh, as a lawmaker yourself, uh, serving time in the uh, New York State Legislature. Uh, I like the way you put that, the serving time in the legislature. I, let me first say that, Chris, we're excited to, uh, to talk about, you know, potentially, I don't know if you heard, Cross River partners with technology companies and, and all kinds of companies to offer new services, and so I'm excited to tell you all about what we do as well. Um, so how do you tell the story to regulators and legislators, including your former colleagues? How do you tell them that uh, you know, they shouldn't reflexively look at new technology as something to be worried about? They should look at it as an opportunity to serve their constituents who maybe, again, traditionally have not had access to financial services. So let me be very frank, right? Not all fintech is created equal. Uh, and I think, sadly, too often times, various products are, are all called fintech and all put into one big salad bowl. And some people think they're ugly and some people think they're great. Um, I think that's sort of something that we're, we're trying very hard to, to sort of push back on, right? Not to conflate all the various products, the various industries, um, all into one and, and then cast, you know, shadows on it or, or sort of sing its praises. Um, I'm very lucky. Look, I, you know, I don't want this to sound too much like a commercial, but I, I'm very lucky to work at a place like Cross River where, uh, you know, we're, we work really hard to do things in a transparent way where we're looking to, to find ways to embrace the regulatory structure and, and find ways to, to, to bring new products into that. I think, uh, you know, what was interesting is that once upon a time, banks sort of had strict guidelines and strict guardrails, and it was very rare for banks to, to veer off it in fear of the regulatory agencies sort of coming after them. I think today, you're seeing more and more community banks and banks as a whole sort of working arm in arm with tech companies to enable those innovations, to reach new consumers. You know, you see this with the FDIC, with the OCC, the CFPB, new technology offices who are engaging fintech. 
um, some things like, like regulatory sandbox, right? In states like, in the federal government, but then in states like New York, there was a regulatory sandbox sort of bill recently introduced. And so even in states that, that maybe sometimes get a bad reputation in terms of how they deal with innovation in the banking system, I think you're seeing more of a focus on how do we, how do we make fintech safe for our consumers? And, and I think that there are a lot of us who are trying, there are a lot of companies, organizations, banks who are trying to do it the right way, and, and it's not easy. It's not easy to tell that story. Um, it's something that, that we started on a small scale with Cross River, but, but now we're doing it a lot more, and not just here in Washington, but in states all across the country. And uh, Chris, how do you think we're doing telling that story? Um, you know, as Phil said, it's obviously important to get out there and talk to regulators, talk to lawmakers at the state and federal level uh, about how important technology is to reaching the underserved with financial services. How, how do you think we're doing as an industry telling that story? Do you think there are aspects of the story we could be telling better? Obviously, the ETA white paper is designed to get some of those uh, particular anecdotes about products and services out there and the benefits that uh, consumers are obtaining as a result. But what, what, what could we be doing more of? What should we be doing more of to, to tell that story out there? So Jason, uh, not just to flatter you, I actually believe what I'm about to say, but I, th I think we're doing a decent job of it, and, and here's why I think so. I mean, obviously, not that long ago, I worked at the Federal Trade Commission in the Division of Financial Practices. I have a lot of experience working over at the CFPB as well, and I know a lot of people over there. And what I see are people at those two agencies in particular who are looking at these issues from a consumer perspective that is um, quite holistic. And they recognize that, uh, I think this is just from a couple years ago, the, the CFPB was, was noting that um, FinTech had uh, tremendous potential to uh, increase financial inclusion for these consumers who are unbanked and underbanked, um, who maybe haven't developed a credit score yet or who are unscorable. And they, they realize, I think, at the CFPB and at the FTC in particular that you know, what may be best for consumers a lot of times is to provide a little bit of space for this kind of financial innovation that companies like Cross River and T-Mobile and so many others are engaged in right now. You know, do we need to continue to develop that message um, and hone it and, and emphasize it with these agencies and at the state level? Absolutely. Uh, but I think it's starting to sink in a little bit based on some of the things that I've seen. If, if I can, just to add on that, I think it's more just a lack of information. I mean, I, and I say this wherever I speak, and, and I try very hard to always, I think as fintech companies, as banks, as anybody who's operating in this space has a responsibility to tell their story, um, has a responsibility to go to their state legislators, has a responsibility to talk to, to, to federal regulators about what they're doing, how they're doing it, maybe get some guidance, maybe get some criticism, you know, maybe get some feedback about how they could be doing it better. But if they don't tell their story, if they bury their heads in the sand and hope for the best, I think they're doing the entire industry a disservice. And so at Cross River, we spend a lot of time, you know, sort of out in the field talking about who we are, what we do. We try to be transparent. And then we try to work with tech companies that also try to be transparent. And so I think it's incumbent upon all of us in this industry to, to tell that story. And I, I say this as a, as, as a recovering politician who I was always eager to get that information. I mean, when I was in the state legislature, I would have loved to speak with companies or talk about various issues, whether it was on transportation or, or technology or financial services, because the companies and the people who are engaging, and, and like, Chris, like Chris, they're the experts. They're on the front lines and dealing with the issues, and, and sometimes policymakers 
aren't. They don't get to see the same things that Chris or I, I think, see in, in where we are today. And so it's a responsibility for all of us to, to do our part. ETA does a great job. I think your members do a great job. We can all do better. Yeah, and, and you know, one obvious question that raises is, is there anybody out there saying yes, but? In other words, is there anybody saying, uh, are, are decision makers hearing from any constituencies that say, well, this technology is, is great and it seems like it's promising and uh, maybe some people are getting access to financial services that otherwise couldn't, but uh, here are some challenges, here are some problems, here are some things we need to think about. Um, are there arguments out there that you hear when you're, when you're advocating on behalf of financial innovation or technology uh, that uh, you think we need to uh, address? Who's the, who's the yes but out there? Not necessarily the individuals but, or, or even the, the, the specific groups, but what kind of um, stories are out there that we need to be ready to address? Um, and I'll, I'll offer that up to, uh, to either Chris or Phil. Uh, I would say the biggest fear is that certain actors define the entire industry. I mean, I think the biggest fear is, is you waking up one morning and reading a story in the, in the newspaper about, uh, you know, somebody's grandmother who, who got ripped off or was charged a, a, an astronomical interest rate or, you know, her car was repossessed because she didn't understand the terms that were laid out and it wasn't transparent enough. I think we all, everybody in the industry, I think, fears that negative story and then sort of everybody getting lumped into that same, same uh, boat. I think for us, we got to be proactive about defining who we are before other people define us. And so I wish I can tell you that every meeting, as soon as I finish my, my conversation, everybody's on board and, and willing to do, um, and willing to sort of support us and so on. It's not the case. I think, I don't think it's as much of a, a problem as much as further educating, right? You know, more information, more data, more statistics, more, you know, sort of more, more fully develop what the arguments are, what the products look like, and how they're really helping. And I think we're slowly seeing it. You know, when I started making, having these conversations years ago, they're much different than they are today because there's a lot more statistics out there. There are a lot more studies out there that are helping to define us, define fintech, define these products in a, in a clearer, thought-provoking way, which enables us to sort of put our best foot forward. But I think it's, again, going back to what I started with and that it's important that we do that before other people define who we are. And Chris, you know, thinking about your experience now advocating on behalf of T-Mobile and the use of technology for financial services or back to your law enforcement agency experience where you obviously heard from uh, uh, or about a lot of the bad actors that Phil's talking about, um, what do you think's out there that we need to be making sure to address so we can continue to tell the positive story effectively of, of FinTech? Yeah, so uh, first of all, Phil m makes fantastic point, and I, and I agree with him. I think one of the other things that I would note as sort of a, a real issue that's permeating uh, business you know beyond just payments and transactions right now is the ongoing national debate over privacy um, you know it and at T-Mobile we really prioritize our customers privacy and data security almost above anything else um, and we hope that people understand that it, it is a challenge when um, you know there are state privacy bills being considered throughout the country and that that kind of a approach at the state level could really lead to a patchwork that could be difficult to navigate and at the same time, you know, innovate. Um, we do support at T-Mobile a national uh, privacy framework that is technology and platform neutral um, so that there would be one national standard that we could all work under. Uh, but I think that is 
that is something that, that is a bit of a challenge. The data um, has tremendous potential for providing security in transactions and for uh, helping us to provide really innovative products and service offerings that consumers would really want and would benefit from. Um, and we have to, as a nation, I think, come up with one uniform approach to how we're going to deal with that. Certainly something that ETA has advocated for as well. And Phil, I can imagine uh, for Cross River as a bank, uh, banks as a sector generally are subject to more of these kind of restrictions than almost any other industry segment. Uh, Graham Leach Bliley, for example, applies to banks and, and imposes uh, and has imposed for a long time a, a lot of restrictions. So these pri privacy and, and data uh, kind of issues that uh, that Chris is talking about. I assume those are big for uh, Cross River as well. Uh, they're tremendous for us. And they're also not new to us, right? As a bank, you know, sort of like I said, we we don't always believe that you need to reinvent the wheel, right? There's a lot of the regula regulatory structure that's already in place, and so we actually sort of oftentimes talk about what we do as a bank and offer that as for our partners in the tech space, right? To sort of the certain standards that are set for us, we we make sure and that are the companies we work with adhere to that regulatory structure. Um, and then we're, we're very hopeful that, that, that we can be a part of the conversation about what more has to be done. I mean, I think that's what's so important is about having that seat at the table to talk about where we're right, where we're doing things the right way, where we can all approve. Look, there's no perfect system. And I think we all agree that we can do a better job, but that only happens through a, through a dialogue with regulators, with policymakers, and, and our goal is to get it right, right? To continue to offer the services, but to ensure that it's done in a regulatory compliant way. We've reached that exciting portion of our podcast where we ask what, what we call parting perspectives, four questions uh, for each of you. Um, and uh, we tailor those to each guest. The first question, just to give you time to think about it, is gonna be what your first job was. Um, so uh, you can answer that, uh, you know, going all the way back to elementary school if you want, or you can make it the first one that you uh, paid taxes on. Um, so our four questions are designed to allow our listeners to get to know our guests uh, a little bit. I promise none of them are, are hard. So, uh, Phil, I'll start with you. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> what was your first job? Uh, I supported myself through college uh, as a waiter. Uh, serving, uh, serving people uh, on the weekends. So it was, it was not glorious, but it was something that you know I thought was help, uh, help my parents alleviate some of the stress, and and something I'm very proud of. I'm sure they appreciated it. Chris, what was your first job? So the, I, I think my first job uh, leads to kind of an interesting narrative on how payments have evolved over time. Um, it, it, and it's, it's almost a cliche, but I started uh, as a newspaper delivery uh, boy, you know, in, in middle school, I think it was, riding my bike around the neighborhood and um, delivering the papers at some ungodly hour in the morning, and, but then collecting payments as well from folks, you know, once a week in cash in an envelope. Um, you know, and thinking back on that now versus how little cash I use in my daily life and how I use my my Apple Pay and my credit cards primarily rather than cash is sort of uh, is an interesting thought in my head occurs as you ask that question. All right, second question. Uh, if you had to pick one thing that excites you about your current industry, it doesn't have to be payments. It can be, uh, you know, your banking, financial services. It can be technology, uh, Chris, for you on the on the mobile side. Uh, you can say 5G if you want, um, but Phil, we'll uh, we'll start back uh, with you. What's uh, now that your industry is the banking industry? Uh, what's the the thing that excites you the most about so your industry? I'm a career public servant, right? The idea of being in the fintech space, in the banking slash fintech space, 
is that we're, we're charting new paths um, in, for financial services. I think today what we call fintech, tomorrow we'll call banking. And so to be on the front lines working with organizations like yours is, is just very exciting for me. Chris, what's most exciting to you about your, your sector? <laughs> I think what's exciting for me about it is the democratizing effect. And we've, we've talked a lot, and I think this may be in the white paper as well, about just how many um, U.S. adults have smartphones in their hands and uh, yet how few people are fully banked and how many people are unbanked and underbanked. And uh, with with the uh, you know hopefully the the advent of 5G and on the horizon here, I see a lot of opportunity to uh, to bring people into the banking system to get them establishing a credit record um, and helping them grow in their lives uh, to accomplish the things that they want. All right, next question, and we'll make this our last question uh, in the interest of time. This is uh, to broaden it out and leave us all with a little bit of perspective on your lives. It would be the uh, best piece of advice. Uh, that you ever received, uh, personal advice or career advice over the course of your career. And you can leave uh, our listeners with this today. Phil, we'll uh, circle back to you. Best piece of advice you've ever received. Work, love the work that you do. Um, if you don't love what you do, you're not going to do it well. Um, don't do a job for the sake of doing a job. Do a job because it speaks to your passion. It speaks to your desire. It speaks to your enthusiasm. And so I've always lived my life uh, by that rule. Um, it was something my father told me long ago, right? It's not about how much money you make, it's about the impact that you can have and about really enjoying um, your path. And so I, I say that a lot and I, I truly have internalized it and, and believe in it. Chris, last word to you, best piece of advice. So I'll give a shout out to my mother on this one. Um, you, you know, she always asked um, when she got a report card or anything else, did you do your best? And that was the most important thing. And so uh, I try to live by that mantra um, as well. Chris Cagle is the Director of Federal Regulatory Affairs at T-Mobile. Phil Goldfeder is SVP of Public Affairs at Cross River. Phil and Chris, thank you so much for joining us today on Transaction Trending. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Thank you again to Phil and Chris for joining us today on the Transaction Trending Podcast. If you like the Transaction Trending podcast, be sure to subscribe so you can get the latest episodes delivered straight to your device twice a month. Look us up on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud to subscribe. And you can always visit our website, transactiontrending.com, to stream and share your favorite episodes. Registration is now open for Transact, the world's largest payments technology event. 4,000 payments technology professionals from ISOs, VARs, ISVs, Payfax, financial institutions, networks, fintechs, security firms, tech companies, hardware manufacturers, software developers, and many more will converge at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas from April 30th to May 2nd to make connections and drive their businesses forward. Be part of payments from start to fintech at Transact. Visit etatransact.com to register and secure your spot today. For ETA, I'm Jason Oxman. Thanks for listening. This has been Transaction Trending, a podcast powered by the Electronic Transactions Association. ETA is the leading trade association for the payments industry, representing over 500 payments technology companies worldwide. 
This episode was produced by Laura Hubbard and Patrick Nolan. It was recorded, edited, and mixed by Patrick Nolan. For more information on the Electronic Transactions Association, visit electran.org.